Intelligent, sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible, America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free, and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. What magic wand do you have? A really strong job report to start the year, finishing really after a very strong year last year. 2.6 million jobs created last year, and, and here, the first month of this year, 304,000 net new jobs. That's more than economists had expected. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the program. Happy Friday to ya. So excited to see you here. Um, absolutely pumped up about it being Friday. I'm not going to lie. I worked pretty hard this week. Grateful to have been able to do so, but now... Yeah, we're going to do this show, we're going to enjoy ourselves, and then we're all going to have the weekend. So welcome to the program. I'm just overjoyed to be with you. Uh, We have a jam-packed program for you today. We're going to be chatting with Jasper Fackert. He is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Epoch Times. And you might have heard them or seen them on your radar recently because the president has been tweeting out some of their stories. I met Jasper at CPAC, and uh, he actually came on the show from there. But I don't blame you if it doesn't stick out just yet because, remember, we had, I think, 23 guests over two days. So you you might not recall, but he came on. He's an expert. And I'm so excited to get to talk to him today. Uh, he's going to join us and talk about the Russia collusion uh, and I'm glad to talk about it still from the perspective of something that it's kind of in the rearview mirror, but not really because the Democrats don't want to let it go. And I get it. I understand what's going on. Uh, You know, it's hard to lose. It's hard to it's hard to admit that you've you just gotten it wrong. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) But uh, no matter, we're going to discuss that. We're going to get into. All of the good news, the jobs report is out, 196,000 new jobs last month. Wages are up. Median home sale prices are way up. Refinances are up. Uh, You know, this is great news for people who are paying attention. And if you're not basing your analysis of the economy on partisanship, if you just are looking for opportunities to increase wealth, uh, you know, take advantage of opportunities that might not be there a year from now or five years from now, then this is a great time to be looking around and, and assessing the lay of the land. Uh, as, as someone I spoke to earlier today, looking at the fundamentals. I like that. I like the way that sounds. So uh, you can do all of that under, and you can get wise counsel from your financial advisor or you can go to your bank and speak to one of the people that does you know, personal banking. If you have a business, it might be a time to look at your, talk to your business banker and see what options are available to you. Maybe it's a good time to start you know, uh, basically snowballing some debt down. Whatever the situation, uh, might be time for to look, might be time to look for a new job. Uh, maybe you want to get out there and assess the situation and maybe trade up, get a promotion or something. Um, in any case, if you take the partisanship out of it and just say, how does this economy look compared to a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? 
it's definitely improved. So why not take advantage of it? Uh, so we'll be getting into that a little bit. But first thing we have to kind of unpack is this idea that 650,000 illegals are going to be released into America this year because we're going to hit well over a million illegal aliens crossing the southern border and around 60 to 65 percent of them have to be released into the country due to the fact that we don't have enough uh, detention facility space to house them. And because they're coming in, they're dragging kidnapped kids over the border with them. So they're coming in as so-called family units. Um, that's an outrageous number. For perspective, I broadcast out of the suburbs of St. Louis, the population of the city of St. Louis, the 66 contiguous miles that comprise the city of St. Louis, that population is 315,000. We're talking about 650,000 being released into the interior of the country over the next, remember this is April, so we don't have a whole 12 months left of this year now, do we? Uh, for, so for Democrats, we have to subtract off January, February, March, and April. Okay, I know everybody else already kind of picked that up, but for people who are a little slow on the uptake, you don't count those months. So six hundred and fifty thousand for the remainder of the year. Okay, it, are you, you can't possibly be okay with that? I know I'm not. Uh, so here's Representative Gomert. He says every gangster coming across means somebody's going to be raped or mobbed or robbed. It's number five. Well, we, we need more people down there. I think the president's going to have to send more military to assist. But uh, you've, you've actually got border patrolmen that are, that are pushing baby carriages instead of protecting our border. And every one of the border patrol know that when they're in processing or trying to in process the hordes of people coming across, that that's when the drug cartels send their biggest shipments of drugs, weapons, uh, people that uh, we would not allow into this country, MS-13ers, they bring them in while we're, our folks are being occupied. So it is, it's just outrageous. And every gangster coming across means somebody is going to be raped in this country, somebody's going to be robbed, and we need those people back on the border. It, it is just incalculable, the damage that the Democrats are doing by not helping our president. So this is, this is not about me lacking the understanding required to get that uh, Democrats don't want to help the president because the Republicans didn't want to help President Obama. I get that. This isn't about that. This, this in no way is a reflection of you know, me not understanding that these are two opposing factions. But even in a divorce the two adults are supposed to be able to work out what's best for, let's say, the division of assets or uh, disposition of property like businesses owned or, in the most devastating case, what to do with the kids, how to spend time with them and maintain relationships with both sides. And I, I'm using the divorce metaphor because we're talking about a very hostile situation right now where it's no longer two parties that are both seeking the best for America and opposing each other on how to get there. It's two divergent group views of America, two divergent uh, kind of thought processes. One is let's tear this thing down, set it on fire, burn it to the ground. It's no good. We need socialism. And then the other side is Let's light little fires over here and there and we'll let some things burn. But generally speaking, we're trying to maintain, you know, what we've already got. 
And the little fires I'm talking about are the establishment Republicans and the, the, the ones who they're, they're just as much for open borders as anybody on the, on the D side. And so it's disgusting. We're talking about lives here. Deaths, people who are being killed and the fact that they're being killed, not mattering to those who've been elected to govern uh, on our behalf. So here's Representative Gomert. He kind of wraps things up and it, he makes a great point here about changing tactics down at the southern border. It's number six. Well, and, and that is the criminals coming across. And we know that er, the drug cartels control every single inch of the border. Yeah. And the president's doing all he can. Um, and the threat to close the border should be taken as very real because we've got to do something to stop these folks. And I think a, a very critical thing would be to say use non-lethal uh, methods to prevent people from setting one foot in our country, because once they get a foot here, it's uh, a matter of in processing them. And I think the president would be well justified to just say no more asylum until we get this under the control. Now, of course, that would, you know, the ACLU would file suit, but they're soon no longer going to have that automatic rubber stamp to whatever they file suit on at the uh, Looney Ninth Circuit. The Looney Ninth is going to return to constitutional order. The president has been working on that for two years. It's going to happen. It's answered prayer. And so I want to I'm going to touch on a couple of points here, because when I say 650,000 people who are here in the country illegally, who have not been vetted, they've not been tested for diseases. These people are some of them MS-13 gang members. Some of them are Bangladeshis. Some of them are Chinese nationals. Some of them are from the Middle East. When I say that these people are coming in and they're getting released into the country, and that's just got to be disturbing for you. I know for me, the minute I saw the story earlier this week, I just was unsettled by it. And it's just been there like, um, you know, a pebble in the inside of your stocking, you know, and you're just, you're like, you can't stop and change it because maybe you're on stage or you're in public somewhere and you can't, you can't stop and take the pebble out. So you just have to deal with it. And it's just been eating away. And I finally uh, was listening to something on the news yesterday and I just stopped and I said a prayer and I just, you know, I just asked God to stop this because he can, there's nothing that's too great for God. So what I want to do now is first thing first, sometimes when we get news like this and it just sits there, it can make the news itself and the people who are working against the better interests of Americans, it can make it seem as if they're winning and there's nothing we can do about it. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Um, so first of all, who are we? Who are we in Christ? We're accepted. We're children of God. We're God's friends. We've been justified. We are united with the Lord and one spirit with him. We have been bought with a price and we belong to God. We are members of Christ's body. We're secure, free from condemnation. We are assured that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We cannot be separated from the love of God. We're free from any condemning charges against us. We have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. And we are significant. We are the salt and light of this earth. We are part of the true vine and a channel of his life. We have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. We are personal witnesses of Christ. We are God's temple and we are ministers of reconciliation. So that clears the slate. Now we don't have that, you know, that fear that, oh, you know, who, how can this be solved? How can this be fixed? 
then we have to be prepared to ask God in agreement with each other. And I know in this audience, we have agreement on the fact that it is not in the best interest of this country to allow people to come in the southern border without going through our proper channels and immigration processes and be released into the interior of the country, possibly never to ever leave America again, that that form of illegal immigration completely destroys lawful immigration and people's desire to come into the country lawfully and lawlessness and tyranny are not of God. I know we have agreement on that. So what I want to do now is I, I felt a sense of peace when I said that quick prayer and it, and believe me at the moment when I said it, it wasn't even like I said, let me say a prayer. I just said the prayer in reaction to hearing that news story again. I've seen it online a few times I heard it on the radio and I just said the prayer really quickly. And in that moment, I realized this is what we have to do. And so it's Friday. We have the weekend to go into. And I don't know about you, but I am not prepared to go into the weekend after working so hard this week. And really, I need the time off and I need to reconnect with my husband and the kids and the little fluffy white dog. I need to get outside and do some gardening and not be in here with the computers and the radio stuff, which I love to do. I'm grateful, but I need to unplug. It's impossible to do that with a story that all-encompassing sitting there in our faces, knowing that we have really every powerful entity arrayed against us, except who's more powerful than God. So we have to pray and give our concerns to him, leave them at the altar so we can go on and enjoy what God has for us. Because the weekend is, is a blessing to us. It's a gift to us from God. We work and then we get time off to rest and recharge and to get in the pew and and spend time with him. So I'm going to have a quick word of prayer. And this is for anybody out there. If you're feeling like me, like this is some really oppressive, depressing news that seems insurmountable. He's been working on it for two years. I think I have a minute then. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Please solve our immigration crisis. Please bring it into right order. You're a holy God and nothing is impossible for you. We trust you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll be back with Jasper Jasper Fackert of the Epoch Times right after this. first day of the week, very early in the morning, we took the spices that we'd prepared it and we went into the tomb. We found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When we went in, we didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus. Who took him? Where is he? Who took him? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Where's Jesus? He's not here. He has risen. Jesus was alive. He's alive! Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, mocked, beaten, and then crucified on a cross for sinners like you and me. The Son of God was buried, and after three days, He rose from that grave. 
American Family Radio encourages you to rejoice in the glorious reality that our God is a living God. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with The Legacy Moment. I have a friend who was once a well-known pastor. Some years ago, he committed the sin of adultery. He had to leave a thriving ministry in shame and embarrassment. Well, I'm glad to report today he's repented and God has restored him. In fact, if you knew him today, you'd find a sweet, humble man of God, and he'd tell you quickly what keeps him close to the heart of God is the memory of his failure and the depth of God's forgiveness. It's sad but true. Some of us are not enjoying intimacy with God simply because we think we're too deserving. I read the Bible every day. There's no horrendous sin in my life, and because I'm doing the right stuff, God needs to be close to me. We don't articulate it that way, but that's our legalistic attitude. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. If we did, we'd realize how messed up we are. No, God's heart is especially tender toward the broken and contrite. Listen to these sweet words in verse 18 of Psalm 34. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. It is when we acknowledge our pain that God rushes in. He's near those who acknowledge the pain of what they've done. It's also when we acknowledge the pain of what our sin caused that he delivers us. Notice what he says in the latter part of the verse, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's like, oh man, I did that? How could I have done that? Well, here's what I want you to remember today. If you want an intimate relationship with God, you must run from pride, acknowledge your neediness, and turn to the one who was crushed for you. When you look up, you'll find God standing right next to you. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show. He's the editor-in-chief of the Epoch Times, Jasper Fackert. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. So, um, yeah, you guys have a ton of great content over there. And I want to give everybody the website so they can go over and have that bookmark maybe so they can always check your new content or maybe sign up for a newsletter. Sure. So the website is theepochtimes.com. Okay. So theepochtimes.com. I've been there before. I've read quite a few of my favorites actually do uh, columns over there. So uh, Dr. Carol Swain is one of them. She writes for the Epoch Times. So it's wonderful to have um, that kind of a platform for news and information. And it's from the international perspective, you guys cover a lot of topics and subjects uh, like Israel and some of our foreign policy things. And then, of course, everything having to do with politics and culture here in America. Absolutely. So let's talk about this collusion. Um, There's, first of all, there's been a finding of no collusion. It's Mm -hmm. a wonderful bit of news for Americans who didn't want to believe that the president of the United States was an agent of the Russian government. Yet there's still a lot of chat that it makes it seem as if we really didn't get the Mueller report and maybe he really wasn't exonerated. And uh, what do you make of that? (laughs) Well, that's an excellent question. Um, 
I mean, I personally think it's just thin, to be honest. Um, you know, the, the William Barr, the Attorney General, put out his summary um, in which he cites part of the Mueller report, which specifically says that there was no evidence of collusion. So, I mean, that, that's pretty absolute. We also know that the special counsel didn't make any additional um, referrals, criminal referrals, um, as a result of its investigation. So, I mean, it, it certainly looks like there was no collusion. And, you know, many people knew that there was no collusion. We as a media, for example, over the past few years, we never bought into this narrative that Trump was somehow um, compromised by the Russians uh, because there simply was never any evidence to support this. Um, I mean, there have been many stories in the news. Many of them were based on anonymous sources. But, you know, those paying attention started, those stories fell apart like days or weeks later. So, um, yeah, I, th I think some people are just spinning it. They just, you know, they, they just don't seem to be able to let go of the of the idea that somehow Trump was compromised by Russia. Well, it's actually serves a purpose for uh, Democrats because it gives them cover so that they don't have to discuss their lack of policy ideas. Um, I, they don't have policies that would do a better job of spurring on the economy or protecting us abroad for foreign policy or, or even uh, domestic energy policy. None of their ideas are better than what we currently have or what the Trump administration has proposed. And I think that's a really uncomfortable place to be in where you can't actually say, this is something you're doing badly and here's our idea that's better. Even on health care, which they are in control of, we're still operating under Obamacare, that's also a failure for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you look, the, the interesting question is, you know, if you look at the origins of the Trump collusion narrative, um, we've published several big stories on it. At some point, we decided to start using the word Spygate. Um, and, and, and when we say Spygate, what we mean is the creation of the Russia collusion narrative um, and with the goal of either preventing Trump from becoming president or removing him after he became office. Um, and that's the seriousness of this, this issue. It really appears that there was some sort of a, you can use the word conspiracy, um, by different people involved that, that were working against his presidency. So when we really started looking into this, we uncovered, like, you know, the involvement of a lot of people in the different agencies. Obviously, the, the Clinton campaign was involved. A lot of the private entities were involved. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of Fusion GPS, mm -hmm. a company that had been hired um, by the law firm Perkins Coy on behalf of the Clinton campaign and the DNC to produce this steel dossier. And that steel dossier was then spread systematically through these different agencies, to the FBI, to the DOJ, um, to the State Department, basically to create the, the reason for them to investigate Trump. So it's, it's very concerning. Well, I'm, I guess it, so that's the next investigation, right? Uh, we've heard a couple of people, Lindsey Graham and Devin Nunez, have said that they want to look into that and possibly open another special counsel do you feel, Jasper, that that would be wise, or should they just keep their powder dry and, and wait until the president hopefully wins a second term before they do anything like that? Well, this has to be investigated. I mean, this, this should never happen again. I mean, this time it was Trump. You know, next time, who knows who it is. Um, if it is true uh, that, that people from within the government, uh, that, that, that our intelligence agencies and our law enforcement agencies were weaponized against the presidential candidate. I mean, this should never happen again. Yeah, this should be very thoroughly investigated. 
some parts of it are being investigated. Um, the DOJ Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, um, confirmed um, just two weeks ago that his office is still investigating the issue of potential FISA abuse, um, which relates specifically to the FISA warrant that the FBI got on former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. Um, so that is being investigated. But, you know, from my perspective, all of this should be very thoroughly investigated because, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it should never happen again. I, I, so I cannot disagree with you. In fact, what, what I find most interesting about it is that the Democrats don't see the danger of allowing a process like this where it was actually initiated when Trump was in a campaign mode. So he was not the president. He was a private citizen. The danger of allowing this to stand and not be investigated and no one to be brought to justice is that just like the uh, the nuclear option on ju- judges for the Supreme Court, um, that mm-hmm. was part of Harry Reid's thing that he abolished and Mitch McConnell got on the Senate floor and said, you'll rue the day that you made this decision because one day we'll be in power again and we're not going to reverse it back. And Harry Reid just laughed and then went on to retirement. And that's exactly what happened. So if this are, was allowed to stand the way the Democrats appear they would like it to, we could see a Republican president or outgoing Republican president launch an investigation into a Democratic candidate and ruin their life, ruin the lives of uh, you know anybody who ever worked with them the way they're, they've done with a lot of the Trump, uh, you know, uh, these are Trump surrogates and affiliates, people who really, had it not been for the campaign, they never would have been investigated and their wrongdoings wouldn't have been un- uncovered. I'm not trying to justify what they did wrong, but it's the simple proximity to President Trump, then candidate Trump, that brought about their demise. Uh, I don't think Democrats want that reality when it's their turn. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think anybody would want this reality. Um, and, and you know what the thing that's scary about this is? Um, when we looked into it and we produced this infographic um, in October last year and we really mapped it out, um, and, and just the sheer number of people involved in this, it's, it's staggering. Like we have over 100 people on this, this infographic who you know, were somehow um, related to this, to this Spygate scandal. You know, a lot of the media were somehow involved um, because Christopher Steele, who I just mentioned, who had produced this dossier on Trump, he had been briefing um, the media on the contents of his dossier, and his dossier had been you know, spreading uh, through the media. Um, we also know from a deposition that was released recently uh, from David Kramer, who was uh, an aide to the to former uh, Senator John McCain, um, that he had been talking to, I believe it was between 10 and 15 reporters. So, you know, it's this, this wasn't just a, a small incident. It appears to have been a, a large um, effort to spread this information on Donald Trump in this case and to, yeah, to work against him. So the other thing that I think has really been uh, beneficial to the Democrats about this whole investigation is that in the run-up to the fall of 2016 elections, um, I believe the Russia investigation and the fact that the Mueller report had not been completed enable them to flip some districts, suburban districts in their mm. favor. And that's how they won the house back. I don't hear mm. many people talking about that. Do you feel like your research and, and your, uh, you, you guys have been investigating this for the whole time. Do you see that too? Or am I off there? It's, it's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a reasonable assertion to make because, um, you know, because I, you know, many people were thinking that the president had genuinely 
being compromised by the Russians. So, of course, it's going to hurt in, in the election. Um, you know, some people have suggested that the, that the investigation went on longer than it had to. Um, I'm not entirely sure about that because, you know, I, I do think that it was a big investigation, and I do think that the investigation, um, it, you know, it's a good thing that the investigation was thorough because it really, you know, the Mueller investigation concluding that there was no evidence really puts the stop to this idea because, you know, they looked everywhere and they couldn't find it. So. <laughs> right. So we saw the statistics, 2,800 interviews or something. I've, I've lost track of what it was, but people were using it the first few days after the report came out of all of the resources that were available to him. And at no point did the president or the White House team say, you can't have an interview or you can't speak to these people. Uh, I, I, I think earlier this week, I played a bit of audio from um, the, the, son, the son-in-law, so Ivanka Trump's husband, Jared Kushner. He said he provided over 20 hours of live testimony, question and wow. answer. And anytime wow, they wow. requested him, he showed up. So he, no yeah. one ever denied them anything they were looking for. And they still couldn't find evidence of obstruction or collusion. Uh, I, I mean, it's stunning that they weren't able to dig something up because everyone thinks Donald Trump is so dirty when in reality <laughs> he's kind of, you know, he's kind of squeaky clean. Uh, you know, <laughs> he is he is you get what you get with him. Like whatever you see is what you get, which I kind of felt like that's what it was. But I, there was this, I even said on air, if he's guilty of anything, then, you know, so be it, you know, bring it out into the open. But a little mm-hmm. part of me was kind of like, I just don't see it. I don't see him doing uh, you know, underhanded dealings with the Russians. He doesn't have to. He had many opportunities to make money without doing it that way, without having the Russians like underwrite his campaign or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think you know, in a, in a way, uh, again, beca- because of this, this narrative was so deeply embedded in, 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 in you know in our collective consciousness because it was said so many times. I, I personally think it really took something as big as this. This. this I mean, sadly, because, again, I've never seen the evidence of collusion, and, and obviously there wasn't any, and many people knew that there wasn't any. Uh, but I do think it, it took something as big as this investigation to prove to a lot of people that there really was no collusion, um, and, and I, I don't think anything short of it would have convinced them. And like you mentioned, there's still a lot of you know people in the media and whatnot that still say, you know, oh, maybe the, you know, the, the actual, the full report has something that, I mean, I just don't believe that. I mean, and we'll see that when the full report gets released. But, yeah, they, they just seem to be holding on to this narrative. So. Well, I think also, Jasper, just logically speaking, and I've been saying this, and, um, you know, of course I don't know what the future holds, but obviously for Attorney General Barr, if he were to have, you know, dumbed down the report or done a summary that, left out an an important detail that showed collusion or something like that, that would be such an embarrassment for him and such a, it would, it would end his career. But also, yeah, but, but also don't you think Jasper, if he did that, that the Mueller team would have immediately said the AG summary leaves out some important points and we need to make those, you know, in other words, how does he get away with hiding something in the, the Mueller report, in his summary, anything that's super important that points to collusion or obstruction, without someone else in the know, because there are plenty of people and there's been plenty of leaking, you know, outing him and saying, oh, there he goes, he's a Trump stooge, he's not telling the truth. Yeah, that's such an excellent point. I mean, 
<laughs> you're spot on. I mean, it's just so illogical. Um, you know, in the days following, you know, the release of the summary, I believe Barr already told Congress that he'll provide them with a full report. I believe it's mid-April. So, mm. and, and he also acknowledged the public interest in this case and the importance um, for transparency. So, you know, I, I personally believe that the report will be made, will be made public. Um, and, uh, yeah, you made an excellent point. It's not, you know, if they grossly misrepresented something, obviously that would reflect very badly on the, on the Department of Justice. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I I actually think he, you know, he probably could have gotten it out faster, but he went over one more time with a fine-tooth comb because he's under such harsh scrutiny by the Democrats, and his his confirmation process was fraught with, you know, him having to promise he wouldn't obstruct the investigation and that mm-hmm. he could be impartial. And so he's and he actually had a really good reputation going in to his confirmation mm-hmm. hearing from both sides of the aisle previous to this new wave of Democrats. He'd he'd been well respected by both sides. So he just doesn't have any reason to hold anything back. And I think it's going to be like if if you call the 2016 elections, the original nothing burger, right, because it was supposed to be Hillary and it turned out to be Donald Trump. So it was a nothing burger for the Democrats. And then you say that this Mueller report is like nothing burger part two, two years of investigating the president, finding nothing. Then the release of the full report is going to be like an even bigger, emptier nothing burger because they're going to be searching, looking for something that is not there. I mean, that's what it looks like. Um, I, I, you know, I, I completely agree. And, and, and honestly, you know, being in the media business, it surprises me because, you know, I really thought that, you know, the Mueller report coming out and saying there's obviously it's a major inflection point for a lot of media to question themselves, like how, you know, why did they allow themselves to be so um, misled? But it appears that that's not happening. So, um, you know, I think in terms of public trust, just, you know, a lot of media have lost their credibility, quite frankly. True, but not you guys over at the Epoch Times. You guys are still blazing saddles. So, <laughs> Jasper, We're thank you. Um, yeah, 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 you're definitely growing. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'll talk to you again soon right here on the air on Stacy on the Right. The Epoch Times is where you can find him. I'll post the links on all the social media so you guys can find Jasper's work along with that of his entire staff over there. Great people. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Building a strong marriage requires more wisdom, not to mention grace, than any of us have in ourselves. Lauren and I have discovered eight core principles of an uncommon marriage. One, look to the Bible as your guidebook and to Christ as the living example for your marriage. Two, stay in sync spiritually. Three, Manage expectations and appreciate your differences. Four, work as a team. Five, practice committed love. Six, communicate well and often. Seven, don't run away from conflict. And eight, 
support each other and serving others. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. What or who motivates you to live and do life? Whether it's the motivation of your business or being healthy and fit, many times the why behind many individuals' determination is because of their children or grandchildren or even a spouse. Their primary why is because of a fallible being instead of Jesus. I know you're probably saying, Victory, I'm sure Jesus is a reason too, but Jesus should be the only reason for our whys in life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 37, if you love your father, mother, son, or daughter more than him, then you are not worthy of being his. But if we give up our life for him, we will find life in him. It is only because of him we can do the things he has enabled us to do. Have your why be because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for you. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory Hollyfield. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. It's the candidates with Brett Baer. Former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke announced he was seeking the Democratic nomination for president. O'Rourke's campaign raised $6.1 million on the first day after announcing. This is going to be a positive campaign. Amy Walter, national editor of the Cook Political Report. I don't live in Texas. I live in Arlington, Virginia. There were Beto for Senate signs in my neighborhood. <laughs> okay? This sort of cult-like following. Josh Krashauer, political editor at National Journal. Beto, the, the fact that we're calling him Beto, like, is incredible One branding, name. right? Yeah. <laughs> and you can't <laughs> buy having right. people be interested in you yep. or excited about you. And Mike Allen, co-founder of Axios and co-founder of Politico. O'Rourke, Beto, could be the next Obama, or he could be the next Howard Dean. And I don't think mm-hmm. we know the answer to, to that yet. I think there's a lot of reason to be skeptical of, of his staying power. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Brett Baer. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, I think they're actually proving that they're a, a, basically a rabid uh, partisan Democrats who should not be investigating something where you have to have some degree of objectivity and fairness before you call people before committees. They obviously have none. They have no regard for the Constitution or the laws. I can show you letters from them that would be a joke in terms of total disregard for the attorney-client privilege, as if it doesn't exist. And now they want the attorney general to violate Rule 60, which is a federal felony, five years in prison. And they'd like him to uh, to violate uh, possibly uh, uh, laws regarding classification, uh, possibly damage uh, innocent reputations. Uh, The reality is I am absolutely confident that the attorney general will put out a very, very complete uh, part, if not all of it, whatever he can legally. And maybe they should change the law if they want to. And so that every grand jury, all grand jury testimony is just open to everybody. And uh, there's no attorney-client privilege. So that is uh, former mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. And he's talking about uh, the craziness of uh, the demand to just release an unredacted report in its entirety. Now, let's, let's be clear here. Um, something similar to that happened during the when the report was issued for the Clinton, uh, you know, investigation into his 
acts with, you know, his bad acts with, with uh, you know, when, while he was in office. And that turned out to be a nightmare for the people who were involved on the periphery. So people who came in to testify or talk about what they knew, all of their testimony was exposed and a lot of people's lives were irreparably damaged. And after that, they said they'd never do that again, that if you cooperate of your own volition, you're not subpoenaed or anything, you're just brought in and you know about whatever the subject of the investigation is, that you should not pay a huge penalty for just coming in and cooperating, for, for helping the investigation so that it can be completed. And so that is what's happening right now. If, if you're wondering what they're doing, why they can't just turn it over, you know how it is, you get an email from somebody and they say, you know, did you get a copy of, you know, the, the Excel file from work? And they're like, yeah, you know, you're, hey, I got it, yeah. And they say, can you forward it to me? And you're like, sure. And you just send it right over because they were meant to get it, but they just were left off the distribution list. That's one thing. But we're talking about 400 pages and each page has to be gone through. And anyone who is in any information that's classified that has to be redacted. Anything that refers to actions or, uh, you know, information that's classified, that has to be redacted. And then all of the other items um, having to do with innocent people who have nothing materially to do with the investigation. In other words, they're not wrongdoers. That has to be redacted to protect these people from what is really, it's going to be a circus. When the report is released, it's going to be an utter, just, it's going to be every fool for themselves running around like chickens with their heads cut off. I found it. I found the thing that, that Barr didn't release. He, I found the thing that Barr didn't share. I know he was, I knew he was hiding something. I got it. I got it. I got it. And so chicken littles are going to be running around and they're going to be all over CNN and MSNBC. And those little chicken littles are going to have so much to say. And they're just going to be flapping their gums. And anybody with good sense will have turned that off. And you'll be doing anything, knitting, crocheting, needle pointing, uh, you know, popping popcorn, uh, trying out new recipes from the greatest British breaking show, whatever you can get yourself to do to get away from the talking nincompoops. That's I, I plan to already have some backup stuff, which honestly, I don't need to go any further, but out the front door there for uh, the gardening stuff, because it's been cold for so long. By now, I would have already at least put some stuff in pots and I've done nothing. So I plan to just and I don't mean I'll be gardening and listening to their drama, which I often will listen to live streams of news shows and stuff while I'm doing something else. Mm-mm. Nope, I'm not. I will not allow these people to steal my valuable time by listening to them talk about the nothing that they're going to find in the Mueller report. Now, I know they're going to release it and it'll probably be on a scribbed file. You can buy copies of, you know, I, we already talked about that on the show. They're going to be a ton of people uh, like Dershowitz is doing a, a summary type preview type thing. He'll write the foreword and then the actual report will be the book and you'll be able to buy that on Amazon. And, you know, I think uh, some people will be purchasing that not so much to read, but to have a copy because, you know, of its historical value or whatever. Um, I, I'm not saying I'm not going to go on and read some parts, uh, but I'm going to let experts do the analysis. And if there's anything interesting to read, I will kind of allow that pointing to go on. And not not because it's of President Trump, not because I have a partisan viewpoint on it. I do. I do. I'm, I'm very partisan. It's the Stacey on the Right show. I'm very partisan. Uh, but I do think that there's only so far that I'm willing to go with this. And, we, and we've wasted two years of our lives on this. 
imagine if we'd spent the past two years writing our congressman. So I want to I want to share this with you. Um, and also, we have the call lines open. If you want to call and talk about anything, it's Friday. You can talk about whatever you want. Uh, 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. So I had someone email me and I won't, I won't share his name on the air. I'm not sure if he wanted me to do that, but he had this amazing suggestion. He said, you know, we've spent a lot of time. We get outraged and we do a lot of comments. And I'm not talking about the people who are on the live streams right now commenting or or people who come, you know, sometimes to comment on my blog or send emails with, with like interesting information. I'm talking about the kind of outrage comments and tweets that we get involved in. And we've all been there, so I'm not judging. Um, But he said that's a waste of our time because our legislators don't read the tweets or any of that stuff. They read the viral tweets, but it's so hard to get a viral tweet. You have to already be in that little circle where the biggest tweeters retweet you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it's wonderful when it happens, but it doesn't mean you're changing any policy. And he suggested that instead of us commenting uh, and, and doing all, you know, Facebook postings and getting enraged and getting in arguments online with, with, uh, whoever, that we start writing letters to our congressmen because they actually count the number of letters they get on a particular subject. So while they don't pay attention to what's on social media and everybody acts like it's so important, they do pay attention to how many people sit down and write them a letter, whether it's typed out on your computer or it's printed in email, you know, an email that you type up and then print, or if it's a formally typed letter that you print out on your own letterhead, or if it's a handwritten note that you, you know, scribble off and sign and send to them with your home address on it. Because it has to have your home address so they know you're a constituent. In any case, whatever form the letter arrives in, that is when you are making an impact. And I think for us as Christians, we're told to number our days. We're told to be careful of the time. We're told our days are short and our lives are like the grass that dries up and withers and blows away. We're like a breath. We're gone in a puff. These are metaphors for how short our lives are. And so we don't want to waste our time on things that are meaningless and do not bring any results. And so I really, I, I, I read the email and I thought, I got to talk about this on the air because I do say here on the show that we want to effectively manage our elected officials, those who are placed in authority over us because we elected them, right? Because we don't have a system where, you know, you're just born into a family and all of a sudden you're in charge. We elect these people. They actually campaign and ask us for our votes. So why not write them? Imagine the impact we could have instead of, you know, a thousand comments on a Facebook posting from a news site, which... The politicians don't read those. If a thousand people wrote and said, Governor Northam, you may not represent the people of Virginia as an infanticide purveyor, like a a, a Dr. Doom, a Dr. Death. You can't do that here. Imagine he I think he would have changed his tune. You want to see the lieutenant governor who's accused of sexual harassment receive the same treatment that Republicans have received? No one's writing. And the reason I think that the, the person who emailed me mentioned writing is because we've already seen what happens with these protests. The protests make the news. Sometimes they make a little internet star out of one or two people. Oftentimes it results in violence and people get arrested. But the legislators haven't really been swayed because the ones who are on the same side as the protesters see it as a validation of their position. And the ones who are on the opposing side to the protesters 
see another group of wacky, you know, people showing up, um, stinking up the joint and protesting. Um, and that's a reference to the Occupy Wall Street people. Sorry, because not all protesters are stinky, just the Occupy Wall Street ones. So the, what, what would be more effective? What would be a better use of our time? The other thing that the letters provide us, if you think about it, is you, if you write a letter to your legislator, they know you're serious. They've got your address and your phone number now. They're probably going to put you on their must-knock list for any get-out-the-vote effort they're going because they're going to want to know at the door you know, they're going to want to send someone to your house at the door to say, you've written us before and we want to know, you know, we, we want to ask for your vote again. And if you say no, then they've got an inkling of where the election is going to go. And the reason that's important is because they kind of take this tack with people who write letters. The ones who write letters are more serious because the ones who write letters are more likely to say uh, to an email group of 50 this is the letter that I sent to my legislator and I haven't heard anything back. Or this is the, the letter that I sent and this is the letter that he sent me back. You know what I mean? They have to try to calculate the entirety of what they're getting from you and how serious you are about it. Now, multiply that out. Think about how many of us are really interested and we want to do our God-given mandate in managing our elected officials, but our comments on Facebook and our time you know, tweeting or what have you, we're not seeing much. I can tell you, I, I asked a legislator that I know here locally, and I asked uh, him about an issue that we're having at our house um, with a utility company, and he pointed me to my elected official because he's in the district adjacent to me. I happen to know him because we're in some other groups uh, for like things that I do in D.C. And so I reached out to that other legislator, and I just I sent a text because that's the mode of communication I was it was forwarded to me. And he hasn't gotten back to me. And so my first thought was, oh, well, I mean, how about if we just let 10,000 people on Facebook know about it? Like I can just post it on my Facebook wall and tag him and see if he responds then. But then I thought to myself after reading this letter, I'm like, oh, so he might be one of those ones where a text doesn't matter to him because there's no record of that. But if I mail a letter to his office, then everybody in the office will have seen the letter and then he'll know that I'm serious about getting my question answered about a bill that he apparently voted out of committee and got passed a couple of years ago that directly impacts this utility issue that I'm having. So the question is, which of these items do we want to spend our time on so that we can be effective and actually manage these people? And I think the letter writing, it seems archaic, but it's, it's actually super fun. Do you get, I just pointed over there like you guys can see it. I have a little stack of cards that I've gotten recently from a couple of women who they're, they're like spiritual sisters or moms to me. They, they, uh, they've been mailing me, they've been communicating with me by mail, snail mail, and I've been loving it. And it's so neat to get something and open it up and look inside and read what someone wrote with their own hand about anything. And, and they're never really super long, but it's just nice. And so I'm, I want to posit that to you as we go into the weekend. Are we going to use the most effective mode of communicating with these people? And if we aren't, why aren't we? And there's not, there's no harm in us giving this a try, like writing these people and saying, I saw that you're voting against X. I don't agree with it. I'm a constituent. I want you to vote this way. Um, I think the letters can be simple. I think they can be effective, especially if they're not super long and they're not wordy, then they'll probably have the most impact. 
But they sort those letters for and against whatever issue. They know how many people have reached out. I don't know that they, in fact, I'm pretty sure they don't pay attention to the stuff on Facebook and Twitter unless your comment goes viral and it becomes a news item. So since the likelihood of that is pretty slim, we have to go back to the original method. And sometimes the traditional method is best. So I'm, I, I spent that time on this because I think it's super important. It's not an accident that that guy sent me that email. It was a good, it was a good email. And, uh, it, this is this is an important issue for us. Now, I want to see us effectively not just manage them, but turn the tide because we know better. We know they can do better than this. We it, and There's just no reason in God's green earth that Mitch McConnell should have ever spoke out against the president on shutting down the border when we have 650,000 illegal aliens who are going to be released into this country this year. We will crest 1.5 million illegal entrants, and then we will have... 650,000 of them, because about a half a million will be turned back, and 650,000 of them will be because they're family units and they have kids with them, they're minors, they'll be released into America, and they will not leave. That is unacceptable. And even Mitch McConnell, with his old Chamber of Commerce self, should be able to understand that. He should be able to fix his mouth to support the president on this. But because he doesn't hear from his constituents in Kentucky, he just does whatever he's going to do. And that's just not going to fly. That dog won't hunt, as my Aunt Maxine says. We've got to do better at managing these people. So let's get our pens and paper out, our emails, our laptops, and let's try something different. I believe we can win. Not because we're awesome or because we're Americans but because we serve a God who does not lose. He doesn't lie. He takes every hill. He owns it all. And he's given us his power to do his will here on this earth, but we've got to take it. That's the end of this hour. God bless you from the heartland if you're leaving us. If you're sticking around, onenewsnow.com. News and information up next.